2 Corinthians chapter 3 this morning. 2 Corinthians 3. <clears throat> That's a great truth. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. You know, it counts what you're looking at. What you're looking at counts. It has a huge impact upon your life, what it is that you're looking at. We're going to look this morning at <clears throat> whether we're looking at the law or whether we're looking at grace, whether we're looking at the law or whether we're looking at the Holy Spirit's working in our lives. Now, <clears throat> it's very easy for us to spend our time looking at the law. It's just in us. You know what I mean? We, we hate rules and we love rules all at once. Now, you tell us to do something and we're going to react against it, but, you know, we'd sooner have the framework of rules uh, in our lives than have no rules at all. And when it comes to our Christianity, uh, it's very easy for us to look to the law. Now, we're not looking to the, uh, the Old Testament law uh, in all its glory. We're going to look at that this morning. Uh, but we'll be looking to some measure of law. And you say, well, what's wrong with that, Pastor? Isn't it a good thing to want to do right? Yeah, it's a good thing to want to do right, but you're looking in the wrong direction if you're looking at law. You're never going to actually achieve it. If you're looking at the rules, you're never going to achieve it. You see, we're going to look today. What you need to be looking at is Jesus, his spirit, and his work in our lives. And things happen. Things happen in our lives when we look to him. Right? Now, we'll talk it through, but we're going to read through our passage here, uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. In fact, we're going to read the whole chapter, uh, and then we'll begin to look at it. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's have a word of prayer before we begin to read, though. Father, would you bless us as we look to your word, Lord? Oh, Lord, we take this as your holy word, uh, every word inspired and every word with meaning for us. And Lord, we do ask you, Lord, would you help us? Help us to unravel it. Uh, Lord, not just in our intellects, but in our hearts and in our spirits, that we might understand it, that we might lay hold upon it, and that it might become ours. Or would you bless your people, Lord? They've come today uh, with needs and with burdens, and uh, Lord, I can't meet the needs and the burdens, but Lord, you can. Would you reach down and touch your people this morning, touch each heart that's gathered? Would you give us uh, ears that hear, Lord, and hearts that take on board truth? And oh, Lord, may it be that it, that it becomes real to us. And Lord, would you bless me as I speak, Lord? Uh, prevent anything that wouldn't be what you want, Lord. And Lord, just cause to be said that which is going to be helpful and that which is going to bless and that which is going to draw your people to you and help, you, help them to see you more clearly in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> All right, so 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to read the whole chapter. <clears throat> Do we begin again to commend ourselves or need we commendation of you or letters of com commendation from you? Ye are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. And such trust have we through Christ to Godward. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God, who hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. Now, we looked at that last time, right? <clears throat> verse 7 is our text. Verse 7 and on to the rest of the chapter is our text for today, right? Um, but Paul said he was a minister of the New Testament, a new covenant, a new deal uh, for mankind. What a deal. Uh, what a covenant. What a testament. Uh, <clears throat> not the letter of the law, but the Spirit. Something that is possible 
The law was impossible. But God has worked something in us that's possible. Verse 7, But if the ministration of death, written and engraven in stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that that which remaineth is glorious. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face. Now keep the idea of a veil over his face in your mind, because that's going to be central to what we're looking at uh, this morning. Not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished, but their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away with in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, uh, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. All right. <clears throat> so we're going to look, first of all, at the veiled glory of the Old Testament. <clears throat> it's God. The veiled glory of the Old Testament. And let, let, let's think about it. Uh, the verse, verse 7 says, But if the ministration of death, now he's talking about the Old Testament law, the ministration of death, written and engraven in stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away. Right now, he calls it uh, the, the ministration of death, which is pretty stark. But you know, the Old Testament law, really, it couldn't be kept. Man couldn't do it. Uh, the, the, the faithful Jew tried to do it but failed. Uh, he was not able to do it. But there was a glory involved in it. See, when Moses came down from the mountain uh, the first time with the stones, they were, they were up to their tonsils in idolatry. And so Moses broke the first two stones. And <clears throat> in chapter 32 uh, uh, of Exodus, he comes down, he breaks the two, and God deals with those people. And thousands of people die that day because of their sin. And then in chapter 33... God is, is about done with them. And God and Moses are having this interaction, and God is saying, I'm finished with them. I want nothing to do with them. And Moses is saying, but hang on, Lord. And so Moses prevails upon God, and, and ultimately in chapter 33, Moses gets to see some of God's glory. And, and then in chapter 34, Moses goes up the mountain to have the commandments, to receive the commandments again, and God gives them to him again. And <clears throat> Moses talks with God. But when Moses comes down from the mountain, there's something different about him. Moses' face is shining. He's been with God. He's spoken face to face with God, and the glow of the glory of God is on the face of Moses. Now, you know what happens when, when he comes down the mountain? The, the people are afraid of him. They, they stand back. They're afraid. The, the, the glory of God is shining from this man, and, and they, don't, they, they don't want to be around him. So much so that what Moses does is Moses takes a veil that covers his face not to frighten him, and he will take the veil off his face uh, when he talks with God, uh, but when he comes out to them, 
Uh, he, he, he puts the veil over his face because it's frightening them. Now, now what's the problem? Uh, I mean, the problem is that God is holy. And the reflection in Moses is a reflection of that glory and that holiness. And they realize they don't match up. They realize they don't make it. They're not that good. They're not that holy. Uh, they can't stand that glory. And they're afraid of that glory. They're afraid of what they're seeing uh, in Moses. And, and, and they shy away from it. They, they want to hide themselves from it. And ultimately, you see, it's not Moses they're hiding themselves from. It's God. Now, they have his law. They're his people. By the way, these are not the worst of them. The worst of them are dead by now. God's dealt with them. <clears throat> you know, uh, these, these are the good guys, I suppose, uh, of the nation of Israel, if you could say that. But you know what? They were afraid of the holiness of God, and they drew back. Now, you have a picture there of the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Because the Old Covenant was a covenant of law. It was a covenant where a man was told, <clears throat> uh, this is how I want you to live. And God told him in detail how he was supposed to live. And he, he laid out the rules, but it was, it was a covenant that man didn't keep. He wasn't able to keep. The Jews couldn't keep it. Now, we need to be careful that we don't look at the Old Testament law and say it was a failed attempt, it never could have worked, and so on. Yeah, and God, God knew all that. But, you know, the, the Old Testament law was the law that could make you righteous if you could keep it. If you could do it, you could be. If, if, the, if, if the, the, the Jews that stood before Moses could have kept that law, they wouldn't have had to be hiding from the glory of God. They would have been able to embrace it. But they, they, they couldn't keep it. They weren't able. Romans 7, 12 says, Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good. Right? It's a good law. Uh, <coughs> um, and you see, our failure to keep the law condemned. See, because remember that when it comes to the law, law always has to have, you know, here's the commandment, and here's what will happen if you don't. And you know the Old Testament? The Old Testament is the story of a people who are given commandments and broke them, and we see here's what happened. And, and they're constantly living that way. They're constantly living in the condemnation of having broken the law. Uh, they never keep it. They never come to the place uh, where, they're, uh, <clears throat> where they're doing it. Romans 7.10 says, And the commandment which was ordained to life I found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Right? So, <clears throat> so you've got all these great commandments, and they're wonderful commandments, and it's the revelation of who God is, and the revelation of how holy God is, and he gives it to man, and man fails. Again, and again, and again, he fails. You see, <clears throat> the law never could make man righteous because man wasn't able to do it. He wasn't able to keep it. Um, <clears throat> Galatians 3.21 says, Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by this law. It was a good law, but man couldn't keep it. I love this poem. You may have heard it before. Uh, John Beveridge wrote this. He says, Run, John, and work the law commands. So that's the law speaking to him. The law says to him, Run, John, and work the law commands. Yet finds me neither feet nor hands. I'm not able. <clears throat> but sweeter news the gospel brings. It bids me fly and lends me wings. Now, understand this. That's very profound. What, what you've got there in that little poem is you've got the difference between two testaments. You've got the, the Old Testament of the law that told man do. 
but didn't give him feet or hands to do with, and he, he failed. He wasn't able to. But the gospel doesn't do that. The gospel brings a sweeter news. It brings the news and it says, I'm going to put my law in you and I'm going to enable you to keep it by the power of my spirit. And what it does is it bids me fly and it gives me wings. So understand that the Old Testament law never could cleanse man. In fact, we find out in Galatians that the law was a schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. Now, we're not going to go into the depths of it right now, but do you know how an Old Testament Jew got saved? He got saved by realizing he couldn't keep the law, by realizing the sacrificial lamb pictured God paying the price for his sin, and by trusting in what God did because he couldn't do it. Nobody's ever been saved by their own merits, ever. The only perfect person that ever walked this planet, bar none, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter which of the saints they told you or whatnot, they, 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 they were imperfect. None of them were perfect. The only one that was the Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody else. If there's anybody in heaven today, they're in heaven because of what Jesus did and the fact that they believed and that they trusted him at some point. That's the only way into heaven. <clears throat> But the Old Testament law (coughs) was a schoolmaster, Galatians tells us, to bring us unto Christ. Now, but what Paul is saying here is he's saying this. He's saying the ministry of the Spirit is greater glory. It's a greater glory. It's more wonderful. It's more amazing. It's a greater revelation of who God is. 2 Corinthians 3.8 says, How shall not then the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. Now here's the thing. I am so glad I'm born in the church age, aren't you? And if you understand your theology, you should be glad that you're born in the church age. right? I'm so glad I wasn't born facing the law. I'm so glad I wasn't born facing the despair of the law. Because if you were honest and if you were seeking to obey it, you had to admit, like, I'm, I'm failing. I'm so, glad, I'm, I'm so glad I was born in a different day. I'm so glad I was born in a day when God put his spirit in me. Because that's what he did. Now, Ezekiel prefigures it in Ezekiel chapter 36. Don't turn there, but let me read it for you. Uh, God is saying here to the nation of Israel, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments and do them, and ye shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and ye shall be my people, and I will be your God. God's talking to them about a new deal. Something different, something changed. He was going to put his spirit in them. He was going to put his spirit in them, and his spirit was going to cause them uh, to live righteous, to be righteous. And that's what we're born into. When you got born, in, born again, you got born into the age of the Spirit. You got born into the fact that the Holy Spirit comes to indwell, and the Holy Spirit is the power of God for you to live right and do right, for you to <clears throat> actually live holy before God. Now, remember, if you were an Old Testament Jew and you were facing <clears throat> the Moses coming down from the mountain, here's what you'd be doing. You'd be going, oh, man. He's holy. I can't bear that. I don't, I don't want to see him. But you're born in a different age. You're born in a different age, and we're going to see how that impacts us. The age you're born in is the age of the Spirit, and it's 
you're no longer trying to hopelessly keep the law. And it's important that you get that, that you understand that. And we're going to get all confused uh, on this thing because, well, then does it matter what I do? It definitely matters what you do. We're not talking about what you do here. We're talking about your focus. Whether your focus is on the law or whether your focus is on the Spirit. See, because New Testament believers have this tendency. We we, we tend to, to revert back to the law. And if not the Old Testament law, a law. My law, my church's law, uh, <clears throat> some law. Because we kind of like that. We kind of like a list of rules. I can keep a list of rules sometimes. I can at least keep I, I'll vary them typically. Right? Uh, you know, you, you give, us, give us a list of rules and, and we'll, we'll vary them. Right? <clears throat> An example for you. Speed limit. Right? <clears throat> speed limit on that road out there, I think it's 50 kilometers an hour. Right? Okay? <clears throat> now, some of you, if you go out in a 50 kilometer an hour speed limit, you're going to do 45 because you're going to make sure that you never go over. More of you are going to say, well, it says 50, but you know what? I can get away with 55, so I'll be fine uh, at 55. And you, you know, <clears throat> that's the way we are. What we do is we, 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 we keep the law, but we vary it to suit ourselves. And you do it in so many areas. Give you the, so <clears throat> what we'll do is, uh, w- w- with the law and the New Testament, we'll say, well, well, well I'll focus on that and, and I'll do that. Now, the problem with it is, that if you were to be honest about the law, there's so much more that you need to obey that you're not obeying, but you know what? You're saying, no, no, I'm okay. And you're resting, you're focused, you're looking in the wrong direction. It's not law you need to be looking to. I know, don't, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it doesn't matter what you do. I'm just saying it's not law you need to be looking at. Right? <clears throat> you see, God knew man couldn't keep the law, so he put his spirit in you Greater ministry, the ministry of the New Testament, right? <clears throat> okay. Now, let me give you the reasons why it's greater. Two reasons it's greater. One, it's greater because it brings liberty. And two, it's greater because it brings transformation. Right? And let's deal with liberty first, right? <clears throat> what does it, this thing, liberty, ties us up in knots, doesn't it? Liberty is the freedom to do whatever I like. You know, it never, that never has been true. Liberty's never been the freedom to do whatever I like. Liberty, at best, has been the freedom to do what's best. Right, let, me give you, let me give you an example, kind of, <clears throat> kind of uh, different kind of example, right? Um, when I went to college, there was a, uh, a dining room, and all the students ate, and it was part of their school bill. But I was a, I was a married student, and so you didn't eat in the, uh, in the dining hall. You had to pay. Now, it wasn't a lot that you had to pay. Uh, but if you wanted to have lunch in the, in, in the dining room, I think it was 4 or $5, something like that. It wasn't a whole lot of money. <clears throat> but you would go in there, you would pay your money, and when you got into the dining room, it was all you can eat. Right? Now, uh, all you can eat is kind of a nice idea, isn't it? Some of you guys are young enough to handle it, and you can say, listen, if I can do all I can eat, I'm going to eat a lot. Right? <clears throat> and being a married student, you didn't have a lot of money, so you know what? You tended to, uh, wherever you could pack up, you did pack up. Well, I went to lunch one day with my friend, Gary. And um, <clears throat> Gary and I went in. Now, Gary was one of these um, <clears throat> high-metabolism guys. He was skinny as a rake. Uh, he never had a pick on him in his life, and he never was going to have a pick on him in his life. Gary could kind of eat uh, rings around him. So we went in, and we, uh, and we had lunch. And I probably ate more than, than I was, should have eaten that day because it was all you can eat. But you know what Gary did? Gary ate one meal. And then he got up and he went and he got another meal. Now, he had liberty to do it. Because right? he had paid and the, and the thing was all you can eat. And he came down and he ate the second meal. 
And then Gary got up after the second meal and he went up and he got a third meal. And Gary came down and he ate the third meal. And, and when he was finished the third, third meal, I mean, I am actually, I, I'm open-jawed at this stage looking at him. He, he went up and he got a fourth meal. Right? Now, Gary ate four meals, right? <clears throat> and um, he had perfect liberty to do it. There was nobody up there telling Gary, you can't actually eat four meals. Because you know what? He had liberty to eat as much as he wanted. All you can eat was the policy. But it wasn't wise. Gary <laughs> was very sick that afternoon. Uh, he had to go somewhere and rest. He wasn't able to finish off his day's work. It wasn't wise. You see, he had liberty to do it. But you know what? Liberty means you've got to actually apply some restraints on the situation yourself. Liberty means you've got to look at the situation. You've got to say, now, hang on a minute. Is this wise? Is this good? Paul made some absolutely astounding statements. He said, all things are expedient for me. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. What was he saying? He was saying, all things are lawful. I can do all things, but all things are not good for me. Now, we need to understand that, folks. All things are not good for us to do. Are you free in Christ? Do you have liberty? Yeah. But all things are not good for you. Can you do some things that are going to cost you greatly? You sure can. Can you do some things that are going to come between you and God? You sure can. You can take this liberty you've been given and you can use it wrongly and you can do yourself terrible damage with it. <clears throat> you see, liberty is a wonderful thing if it's wisely used. You know what? Gary could probably comfortably have handled two meals. You know, he was, he was, he was one of those guys. He, he, he could put away two meals and wouldn't, or wouldn't have affected him at all. Four meals? was impossible. I remember him telling me that, that later on that he could actually hear his stomach creaking as it expanded uh, to take in the amount of food. And we won't go there, right? <clears throat> um, <clears throat> but <clears throat> he could comfortably have taken two, but he couldn't handle four. You see, he needed to exercise wisdom in his liberty. Now, God gives you liberty. You say, well, why does God give me liberty? Why doesn't God just, you know... <clears throat> Make me obey the law, obey the rules. Well, because we've just seen that you couldn't obey the rules anyway. But you know what? God is looking for a relationship with you. And liberty is essential to relationship. Liberty is... Let me give you another illustration, right? <clears throat> imagine, imagine, girls, Prince Charming comes. He finally comes riding over the mountains, <clears throat> and he comes and he gets you... And you come to the church, and you get married, and everything is wonderful and beautiful. And I haven't seen him around for a while, so I, I, I say to you, where is Prince Charming? And, and you say, oh, he's locked in the house. And I, and I say, why is he locked in the house? And, and, and you say, well, well, you know, there's a lot of pretty girls around here. And you know what? If he, got, if he got out, he could take up one of those pretty girls, and he would break my heart. So, you know, I haven't locked in the house. Right? Now... You might feel like doing that sometimes, ladies, but, <clears throat> but the reality is that doesn't work, does it? Because if you have to lock him in the house to keep his love, then it's really not love, is it? It's really not love. You see, he has to have liberty for relationship. It's part of relationship. There has to be liberty in relationship. Could God have forced us to do his will? Yeah, but he didn't. 
He gave us liberty. He gave us free will so that we would actually choose to do what he wants us to do. And, and that's what God wants from you and I. He, he, he wants us to have liberty. And liberty means, you know, we can choose not to do his way. We, we can choose to walk away from him. You can choose to sin. You can choose to do wrong. Now, don't, don't, don't get me wrong. It's, not going to, it's going to have a huge impact upon your relationship with God and a huge impact upon your life. But you have liberty. You have liberty to do it. Now, you, you know what the liberty really is, though, and where it really comes in helpful to It's not the liberty to do wrong, but it's the liberty and the power to choose him and to do right. That's what it is. You know, I hear people making a case for liberty, saying, well, you know what, you can do what you like, and it doesn't matter, and God doesn't care, and, and it's okay because you're free in Christ and you're under grace. That's, that's listen, that's nonsense. That's somebody backing up Gary and saying to Gary, oh, you know, go for it. You should have eaten four. Why didn't you eat five, Gary? <clears throat> because it wasn't wise. Do you know you have liberty? But if you're wise, you're going to use your liberty to walk with him and to enjoy him, not to do your own thing and go your own way. Because when you do your own thing and go your own way, there's going to be a consequence in your life always. And the most immediate consequence is not that God's going to say, okay, I'm done with you, I'm finished with you. No, he won't do that. But, but when you walk away from him, you walk away from his presence and you walk away from his blessing in your life. And we need to catch that. I have liberty. Oh, but Lord, keep me close to you because I don't want a liberty that's going to take me away from you. I don't, I don't, want, I, I don't want to do things that are going to put between me and you, Lord. Lord, I want this liberty so that I can stay close to you and I can choose you and I can walk with you. And I'm not under the Old Testament law. What I've got is I've got the Spirit. I get to walk in the Spirit. I get to walk with God. I get to spend every day with God. That's what your birthright is in Christ. You get to spend your days with Him. You get to walk with Him. You get to know His power and His presence helping you, enabling you to live right and to do right. You get, instead of having your, <laughs> a veil between you and God, you get to look Him in the face and enjoy His presence. And that's what God bought for you. That's what God wanted for you. He wanted you to enjoy that relationship. Why would you let sin become between you and Him? Well, I've got liberty. Listen, don't be foolish. Your liberty is not supposed to let you go away from God. Your liberty is something that allows you to make the right choice, to choose him, to walk with him. And it's essential to your relationship. Without that liberty, it doesn't count. Without that liberty, you know what, it doesn't count. But you know, when you make those decisions that come between you and him, what you do is you hurt yourself and you hurt him. And we need to understand that too. See, it's a relationship. Don't, don't we sometimes feel as believers, well, you know, God's a big fella. He can take care of himself. And what that does sometimes is that lets you off the hook so that you don't have to care about the impact of what you do upon him. But, you know, <clears throat> that's not the way it is. If you look in the Old Testament, you'll see God grieved. You'll see God angry. And you'll see him grieved and angry, not because of what the, uh, the, the, the Gentiles did, not because of what the Philistines did, but because of what Israel did. He gets grieved, he gets hurt. You know, think about it, this new, new ministration, this, 
new dispensation, this New Testament, where God has put His Spirit in you. And God has said, you know, listen, I'm going to take your focus off the law. I just want you just to focus on me. And you say, thanks a lot. And you go and do your own thing. Can you imagine how much that grieves him? That's what the Bible says, grieve not the Holy Spirit. Because you can grieve him. You can hurt him. You can hurt God. And, and, and grieve is a love word. You don't grieve your enemies. You grieve the people that love you. Because he loves me so, he's actually given me a power to hurt him. He gives me a liberty, not to hurt him, but a liberty to please him and to walk with him. And you see, <clears throat> the thing is, when I walk with him, God blesses, because he always does. That's who he is. When I walk with God, God blesses me. God takes care of me. I know his presence in my life. It's the way to live. If we take it back to our illustration <clears throat> with the girl who wants to keep her, her new husband safe and sound locked up in the house, right? <clears throat> um, if we take it back to that illustration, you know, the, 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 the proper picture would be, she says to him, now listen, we're going to live together. We're going to enjoy life together. We're going to go places together. And I'm going to love you and you're going to love me. And you know what's going to go on in his mind? He's, he, he, here's what she wants to go on in his mind. She wants him to say, you know what? I have... My wife, I don't want anybody else. I've chosen her. I don't want anybody else. I don't want to be with anybody else. I have her. You see, the Lord has given you freedom so that you can choose him. So that you can say, I want him. He wants you, he wants you to enjoy that relationship as your way of life. He wants you to walk in the spirit. He wants you to abide in him. He, he wants you to enjoy him. And he gives you liberty and sets you free to do that. And when you take your liberty and go the wrong way and do your own thing, it's not like he casts you out of the family and you get kind of, you get thrown to one side. No, no, no. He still loves you, but he's grieved. It's not like he comes after you with a big stick. Sometimes we, sometimes we want God to step down from heaven and beat us up with a big stick. I've known people that, <clears throat> that have told me that. They, 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 they've done something wrong and they say, well, God didn't do anything about it. He doesn't do that. He loves us. But you know what happens? When we pull away from him, we lose blessing always. And losing blessing is the worst thing you can do with your life because the most valuable thing you have in life is not the money you have in the bank. It's not the house you have, the car you have, or the family you have. The most valuable thing in life is your relationship with him. That's the only enduring thing that you have in life, that relationship that you have with him. And he gives you liberty. And he makes you free to choose him. To live for him. To enjoy him. And then the second blessing is this. It's greater because it brings transformation. Now, <clears throat> this is a powerful verse. Uh, this verse here. Uh, <clears throat> but we all, with open face. Do you know what that word open face there means? The word Open face speaks of the veil being removed. Do you know that you're born into a dispensation when there's not a veil between you and God? Dear the Old Testament Jew, the, holy, the holiest place of all was where God resided uh, <clears throat> on the Ark of the Covenant. Once a year, the high priest went in there and it was covered with a thick veil. Nobody else could go in there 
It was sacred. It was holy. Nobody was to go in there because you know what? You could die. People did die from actually looking into the Ark of the Covenant. They died. God smoked them and killed them. <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> but the high priest grew in. But you know when Jesus died on the cross? The veil of the temple was rent in twain, the Bible says, from the top to the bottom. Now they say uh, the cloth was about as thick as your hand. Big curtain that was draped right across to stop people from going into the Holy of Holies. And it was torn from the top to the bottom. Now, I could imagine somebody standing at the bottom of it and tearing it upwards. But it wasn't torn upwards. It was torn from the top to the bottom. Why? Because God tore it. Because God opened up the Holy of Holies. Because based on what Jesus had done on the cross, when you believe on him, when you trust him, he makes you holy and puts his Holy Spirit within you, and he gives you full access. We can come boldly onto the throne of grace. There's no longer a hiding, a holding back, a hiding from God for us now. Because what God has done is God has given us, <clears throat> he's given us access. And you know, <clears throat> in order for us to enjoy that relationship, we have to have liberty. Can't enjoy it if he houses you in and makes you do. No, no, no. He's given us access. He's given you liberty, he's given you access. And then it says... <clears throat> But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image. You know that word change there is the word transformed in other translations? It, in the Greek, it's the word metamorpho. You know, metamorphosis is something where a caterpillar changes into a butterfly. Metamorphosis is when a tadpole changes into a frog. When something changes completely, when something is transformed, when something is changed completely. Do you know the relationship God has planned for you and I? He has planned a relationship where we would be free, have liberty, where he removed the veil. We could enter into his presence. We could gaze upon him and be changed into his image, being changed to me look like Jesus. You know, if, if you went to Galatians chapter 5, you'd, you'd look at the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. <clears throat> you know what? That's Jesus it's talking about. That's who he was. And you know what? When you gaze into his presence, when you gaze into his face, when you look into him, you're transformed. You're changed. You're made like Jesus. By the way, the tense of the words are something that happens to you as you look. It's not something you do. Now, you say, why is this so important? Here's why it's important. Because <clears throat> you know what? You and I are very likely to look at the law. Okay? I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do these things. I'm going to make these things happen. It's 2017. I'm going, to, I'm going to make myself like Jesus. You know, you never will. The Old Testament Jew couldn't do it, and you can't do it either. You know, <clears throat> it's kind of easy for uh, us to have our church law. That'll make you like Jesus. No, it won't. You're the only thing that'll make you like Jesus. Gazing into his face. 
looking at him with the veil removed. Do you know it's essential that you have liberty for you to have that kind of a relationship? You can't have a set of rules put on you that are going to make you do that. You've got to have liberty. You've got to have liberty, and you've got to choose him, and you've got to gaze into his face. And you know what you're going to notice? You're, you're going to notice changes happening, not changes that you planned. It's not bad for you to change some things about yourself, but when it comes to true spirituality, it's changes happening. I listened to a conversation yesterday, <clears throat> and somebody said about another person, they said, you know, <clears throat> they don't tend to get angry anymore. And you know why they don't tend to get angry anymore? Because they're being transformed. They're, be- they're not being transformed by saying, okay, all right, I'm going to do anger management classes, and from now on I'm going to stop being angry because you know what, I need to, I need to stop being angry because it's bad for me. No, they're not, they're not being changed by anger management classes. They're not being changed by, you know, <clears throat> being given a set of rules. They're being changed by gazing into the face of Jesus. See, that's what changes us. That's, that's how real change happens. And do, do you know that it happens almost imperceptibly? You don't know what's happening. It just happens. And so, someday somebody will say, hey, remember you used to? And you'll say, oh, yeah, that's true. I used to, but I don't anymore. Because it's gone, because you're changed. Because you're changed by gazing unto him. You're changed by looking unto him. You're changed not by looking unto the law. The law won't change you. No law will. The best you can hope for with the law is conformity. In other words, I'm going to do it because I'm supposed to do it. Transformation happens when we have liberty and we gaze into the face of Jesus and we choose him and we walk with him, we get changed. You see, Christianity was never about what you can do. It was never intended to be that. God knew what you could do. And he said, don't want that. Christianity was about what God could do in you. And God can change you when you're gazing into his face. So here's the question as we close this morning. Where are your eyes this morning? Where is your heart? Where is the gaze of your soul, Tozer would call it? Is, Is the gaze of your soul on some rules that you're going to keep? Is is the gaze of your soul on what a great person you are, because we can do that? Or is the gaze of your soul on Jesus, his glory, his wonder? And as you gaze on him, as you look on him, as you enjoy your relationship with him, you get changed into his glory. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. God does the work in you. Isn't that a much better deal? Isn't that a much more glorious thing? Isn't that a much more wonderful thing than you being born under the law? 
and having to keep all these 613 laws and all the explanations that went with them. No, no. God says, come to me. I give you liberty. Choose me. Don't choose sin. Don't choose to go against me. Don't choose to hurt me. Choose me. Come into this relationship with me. Gaze on me. And I will change you. I will make you like my son. That's the plan. There's no other plan. There never has been another plan that worked. The plan is, gaze upon him, connect with him, abide in him, walk in him, enjoy him, and be changed. And you know what? I think everybody in this room that knows him knows the truth of that. Because I think you've seen some changes in yourself that you didn't do. Oh, I think you've seen some changes, and you can take the credit for them. You can say, oh, I, I did it. But I think you look at, if you're honest and you look at your own heart, you can see some changes you didn't make happen. They happened because you were looking to him. He did it, because that's his business. That's his work in your life. Stop looking to the law. Stop looking to yourself and start looking to him. So often we get something in the way. You don't need a veil anymore. You can look straight to him and enjoy him. And as you do, he will change you. Let's stand. (coughs) Heavenly Father, we come to you today and we ask you, Lord, Would you take this great truth and apply it to our hearts? Lord, may no one miss it, Lord. May the truth find its way into our hearts, Lord. I don't have words to explain the great truths of the word, but, oh, blessed Spirit of the living God, every child of God that's in this room, you dwell in them. Would you take the truth and make it real for them? And, oh, blessed Spirit, would you make it real in such a way that we get it and that we gaze and that were changed. Lord, would you bless? And Lord, if there be one here this morning that doesn't know you as Savior, blessed Spirit, would you speak kindly to that one? Would you draw that one uh, to you, Lord? Would you show that one their need, Lord? May they not walk away without understanding. There's a God that loves them and a God that wants to save them, Lord. And if they will just come, that, that you will meet them and you will draw them. Lord, would you bless? Bless us. We come before you, Lord, needing your blessing as we always do. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.